Amen. Y'all sound great. Would you remain standing as we go to the text for which my assignment comes today? A couple of texts. The first one is found in the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 12. This is our main text for the series that we are currently in. It's also, in my opinion, one of the most important Bible scriptures that we can know because it teaches, I believe, um, one of the most important truths to victory as Christians. When we become saved, our spirits are saved, we're on our way to heaven. But in order to walk out victory on this earth, we need to take control of our mind. And that's what the scripture teaches us. Romans chapter 12, verse number two says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Second scripture, Proverbs 23, verse number seven says, as he, some of you know it as for as a man, but for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. This is a very, very literal scripture. We're going to see why today. And the last scripture from which um, the title of the series comes from, First Peter chapter 5, verse number 8 says, be on your guard. And as we have transformed the phrase, stay woke. Be on your guard and stay woke. Keep your mind alert. Turn on your brain. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion sneaking around to find someone to attack. Today in our series, Stay Woke, I want to talk to you about um, how to change your mind in order to change your life. And the subject from which I'm coming from is um, a subject that I think is very appropriate. It's called soul food. Anybody like soul food? I'm not talking about chickpeas and uh, black-eyed peas, I should say. I'm not talking about collard greens and cornbread. I'm not talking about sweet potato pie or peach cobbler. Even though all that stuff is amazing, right? I might have some of that later. But I'm, I'm talking about the kind of food that you and I need to feed our minds in order to see our lives transformed because what you put into your mind determines what you experience in your life because we know you don't change your life by changing your life you can you can move environments you can you can move jobs you can switch mates you can change marriages you can do all that kind of, but if you never change your mind you'll always have the same exact life that you're having right now and so i want to talk to you today about soul food. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you would you speak to our hearts? Would you make this message real and relevant to every person? Would you help somebody today? In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. you may be seated. Last week, we learned some important things, and um, if you weren't here, actually, sorry, it wasn't last week. Last week was the, the snow weekend. For those of you at other campuses, we, we kind of got semi-snowed out here. And by the way, I want to commend you all. I know I'm off topic a little bit. You know, normally when, when church kind of gets hurt on the weekend and it shuts down, most churches take a financial bath. Uh, matter of fact, I was talking to a friend who, who that happened to this weekend. He said, yeah, man, I'm, I'm hoping the people going to give extra today because I don't even know if we're going to make payroll anymore. You know, after, and can I just, can I just commend you for a minute? Last week, even though we only had about like a third of the people show up that are normally here, we canceled the service and everything like that, our offering was about 95% of what it normally is. And so I want to thank you all for your faithfulness. 
Some of y'all have grown up in God, right? You realize that you don't just tithe if you show up, but you know, you honor the Lord whether you're in church that particular weekend or not. And so thank you all for your faithfulness. That's, that's amazing. But so last week we didn't preach from the message series that we're resuming today. I did a one-off. I called it kind of bonus material. It was on prayer power. You can get it online. Go check it out. But today I want to get back to where we were a couple weeks ago, and we learned some important things about our, our mind. We learned the way God has created us is, is mind to brain and brain to body and experience. Mind to brain, brain to body, and experience. We learned that our, our mind and our brain are not the same thing. They're two different things. Our mind is, is the place where we gather uh, thoughts all sorts of thoughts come from all sorts of places, and they become our, our mindsets, and our mind then tells our brain what to do, and then our brain executes that to the rest of our body and ultimately to the experience that we have. And so we learn that, and, and I want to kind of just piggyback off that a little bit as we get back into this series. And I want to read you a quote from a person you probably never heard of, but his name is Hippocrates in, in 400 BC. He said this, he said, men ought to know that from the brain and from the brain alone arise our pleasures, joy, laughter, jest, as well as our sorrows, pains, despondency, and tears. And by this, in a special manner, we acquire wisdom and knowledge and, and see and hear and know what is foul and what is fair, what is bad and what is good, what is sweet and what is unsavory. By the same organ, we become mad and delirious where fears and terrors assail us. All these we endure from the brain when it's not healthy. In these ways, I am of the opinion that the brain exercises the greatest power in the man. This is the interpreter to us of those things which emanate from the air when the brain happens to be in a sound state. Now, I don't agree with everything he said because not all of it lines up with scripture. But one of the takeaways that we have to realize is the brain is responsible for most of what we experience in a physical and physiological type of way. And because the brain is so important, most of us um, can feel a little hopeless because up until recently, it was a theory out there that the brain you have is the brain you have. The brain you have is the brain you have. In other words, you get a brain, and that's the only brain you'll ever get, and it'll always be what it always is. And so, you know, if, you're, if your brain is kind of like, you know, half smart, then you'll always be half smart. If your brain is half stupid, then you'll always be half stupid. And that's kind of what everybody thought. The brain you have is the brain you'll always have. But up until recently, science has discovered that the brain that you have is not always the brain that you'll have. That indeed the brain is what they call neuroplastic, which means that it can be shaped and formed and changed. And matter of fact, you all know from looking at a brain, a brain has ridges on it. And those ridges are basically the instructions in your brain that you, where your brain tells everything, the rest of your body what to do. And, and those ridges can be changed and you can put new grooves and new pathways and new roads into it. And the reason why this is helpful for us is because there's actually a part of us that we have control over a a lot of control and a lot of influence over that actually tells the brain what to do that actually causes the brain to wire one way or another way and that part of us is our mind our mind is the collection of our thoughts those that thoughts that we internalize become the instructions that are given to our brain that our brain eventually takes and depending upon what we do with the thoughts become an automated part of us and then begins to execute in us at an almost subconscious level where we wind up doing stuff 
just without even thinking about it. And so uh, our mind is so essential to the life that we live because our mind is what gets the brain moving in the right direction. And that's why we said at the beginning of this series that if you want to change your life, you don't change your life. If you want to change your life, you change your mind. That's what God is talking about in Romans chapter 12 when he says, be not conformed to this world, but be a transformed metamorphosis. Changed completely how? By the renewing of your mind. Why? Because when you gather, when you feed your mind the right kind of food, when you feed your mind the right kind of thoughts, your mind then instructs or wires your brain to operate a certain kind of way, and then you experience a different kind of life. And so God is really serious about this mind thing. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a couple of um, laws about how your mind works that come from the scripture so that you can get ready to to feed yourself the right kind of food. You are responsible for what you feed your mind. God is not going to feed your mind for you. You must feed your mind for yourself. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, it's your mind and you got to do something with it, right? We've all heard the expression, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And it is, and we're going to see that today. The first law I want to give you is the law of cognition. The law of cognition basically says we are what we think. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We are what we think very literally. Let me flesh this out for you by quoting Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said this. He said, sow a thought, reap an action. You've heard this before. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. As we, as we listen to that, it's almost as if character is the key component to destiny, Right? So a character, reap a destiny. So what we do is we go to the part that is most closely related with destiny, which is character, and we say, okay, the character has got to be right in order for the destiny to be right. Now, let me just say that the character does have to be right in order for the destiny to be right. Your character is always important to your calling. Talent and ability will always cause you to rise to a certain place, but character is the thing that keeps you in that place. You could be really good at something and people will promote you because you're really good at that thing, but if your character is not good, you'll wind up jeopardizing where your talent has placed you. And so we find that when we look around, for instance, the sports world and we see these athletes that are extremely talented and extremely capable and so they, they rise really quick to places of prominence, but their character is not ready for their calling, and they wind up screwing up their life by things outside of their ability, and, and because their character is not ready, they are taken down from where they are capable of being. And so your character is so important to your calling or your destiny. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches this, First Thessalonians 2, verse number 3. It says, God tested us thoroughly, to make sure that we were qualified to be trusted with this message. 
Be assured that when we speak to you, we're not after crowd approval, only God approval. And since we've been put through the battery of tests, you're guaranteed that both we and the message are free from error, mixed motives, or hidden agendas. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying before God released us into our calling, which was to preach the gospel message, he first tested us to make sure that our character was ready for our calling. He put us through a bunch of things to make sure that we weren't going to be a bad example when we got to the place where we were preaching to people about the message of the gospel. And so character is very, very important in order to call. But here's the more important question. What shapes character? See, what happens in the body of Christ is we go to the symptoms and we never get to the core. And people do this all the time with their lives. They, they look at the easiest thing to fix And the easiest thing to fix may not be what's really causing the issue. Sometimes you got to dig deeper. And so even though character, so a character reap a destiny, I want to know what influences character. And if you back up to what Emerson said, he said, so a habit and reap a character. And so our habits, the things that we do continually are the things that shape our character. And I'll show you this in scripture. Here's what it says. Um, Job or Proverbs, sorry, Proverbs chapter 20, verse number 11 says, even children are known by the way that they act, whether their conduct is pure and whether it is right. In other words, when you're known, that's who you are. That's the, the, the essence of you, your character. Your character is known by the way that you act, not some of the time, but all of the time, right? Just because somebody does it once doesn't mean that's who they are. That's why I never get into a relationship with somebody on the quick. Because men lie. And ladies do too. But men, but men lie a little bit more. I was watching this thing last night. You know that, that your political affiliation is now more important. And this isn't a Christian thing. Than, than, than sexual connection. In, in relationship dating. Political affiliation is, is more important. And so when you're on these online things. They'll ask you questions. And, and, and people are now deciding that. Political affiliation is more important. But, but here's the thing. If a man, I'm just going to be real with you for a second, sees a hot picture of a woman on the site and she says her political affiliation is this, even if his is the other, he's going to say, no, I love that. I love that right there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I hate Trump and I, I hate all that. It doesn't matter, right? So, so you never get in a relationship with somebody on the quick because the quick does not show you a person's character. What shows you a person's character is what they do over and over and over and over and over and over. That's why you got to give somebody a chance to show who they are. And these things that we do over and over and over and over again are habits. And those habits form our character. But here's, here's my question. This is a deeper question. What is it that influences my habits? So you got to get to the root. Got to just keep going back, right? And the thing that influences our habits, so in action, reap a habit. What we do, not once, not twice, not three times, over and over and over again, is a habit in our life. You know, you ever meet somebody, they, 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 you know, it's New Year's and they want to get healthy again, and so they decide they're going to go to the gym. And it's like the second day, uh, January 2nd, and you're like, you know, what are you doing for the New Year? Well, I go to the gym. 
No, you don't go to the gym. You went to the gym once because it's not a habit yet. It's not, it, you don't go, it's not a lifestyle, you know, just because you did it one time, right? And, and watch this. John, Job chapter one, verse number four says, Job's sons used to take turns hosting parties in their homes, always inviting their three sisters to join them in their merrymaking. Now this sounds like, this is like a Christian way of saying party hard. They, this wasn't like, hey, everybody come over for game night at, at, at the Job house, right? Uh, cake and coffee, crumpets and donuts, you know, come on over. Let's, let's just have a good clean time. No, this is serious stuff. This is party hard type stuff. And when the parties were over, over, Job would get up early in the morning and he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of his children. Now I'm going to skip a sentence and just read you the end result. Job made a habit of this sacrificial atonement just in case they sinned. In other words, the reason why this was a habit for Job is because he did it all the time. He didn't just go one morning and go, ah, oh, that was a pretty heavy party. They all look hungover and drunk to me. And so I'm going to go make a sacrifice for my kids one time. It's not a habit then. It's just, just a one-time thing. But nothing can become a habit unless it starts out as a, as a one-time thing, right? But when you do it over and over and over again, it becomes a habit. And that habit is the thing that ultimately shapes your character, your character, your destiny. But it begins with that single action, getting up and doing it for the first time. And when something is a habit, you know how you can tell it's a habit? You do it without thinking of it. It's automated. Right? Just like anybody just ever do stuff and, and, and you're like, you know, I don't even know why I'm doing that. Sometimes you do stuff and you know that doing it is even wrong. Has that ever happened to anybody? You know, you like know it's wrong, but you're like, ah, I'm going to do it anyway. Right? It's kind of like, and I don't mean to pick on people who smoke, but it's like kind of like the smoker. Nobody goes with a cigarette going, oh, this is going to be good for me. <sighs> It's like, I know that this is jacking me up on the inside. I, I know that I have a chance of getting cancer by doing this, but... <sighs> Why? It's a habit. It's a habit. Habits are, habits are powerful. When, when your brain gets in habit mode, what happens to you is you do stuff even when you know that it's wrong to do. It, it, see, most of brain activity happens at the subconscious level. 99% of everything your brain does is not something that you're actually choosing at the moment to do. It's been wired in your brain to do based on stuff that has happened before that particular moment. Those are the grooves in your brain that are wired. So you just autopilot, you know, you just kind of do it. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul talked about this. He said it like this. He said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I do want to do, I don't, I don't do. What's happening? Automation in the brain. The healthiest way to live is when your spirit and your soul and your mind are working together so that the automation is for good and not for, for bad things. And so these habits, these actions form these habits. But, but here's the real important question. Here's the million-dollar question. We know that action creates habit. Habit creates character. Character creates destiny. That's what we're all after, destiny, the life that God wants you to live. Right, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed that you may experience what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God, destiny. That's your destiny. What creates the action? So a thought, reap an action. The whole cycle, the whole process which winds up in your destiny begins in your thought life. 
And so God is very, very clear and very, very specific when he talks about what we do with our minds because he understands that the mind is the trigger to all of life experience. And so God comes along and he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He comes along and he says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. He comes along and he says, be sober, be vigilant, stay woke because your adversary, the devil, is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What's he doing? He's saying, pay attention to your thought life. And so a thought is the thing that moves us to action. Watch this, Job chapter 1, verse 4. Here's what I left out. His sons used to uh, take turns hosting parties in their homes, always inviting their three sisters to join them in their merrymaking. When the parties were over, Job would get up early in the morning and sacrifice a burnt offering for each of his children. Watch this, thinking, maybe one of them sinned by defying God. What motivated him to get up early in the morning and make a sacrifice? A thought. Your thoughts, listen to me, always, 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 if you think on them long enough, manifest in actions. It is impossible for you to think on the wrong things and do the right things. Oh, this is good. Let me say it again. It is impossible for you to think on the wrong things and do the right things. You're not wired to work that way. That's why you can come to church, right? And, and you, you, you get like, okay, I'm, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm just, I know that is wrong. I know God wants to set me free from that. I'm just going to stop it. You come to church and you know, you get pumped up by being in the presence of God in the worship and, and the word inspires you and you make a heartfelt, genuine, serious commitment to God to change in that area. And then three days after church, you're back to doing the same thing again. And you want to know why? It's because you're still thinking on and still looking on the same stuff that you were looking on that is manifesting itself in action and you can't beat that. No matter how hard you try, your, your thoughts always manifest in actions. They get the whole thing started. It's, it's the law of cognition. The law of con- cognition. We are what we think. Therefore, if you want to change your life, you've got to change your mind, not, not, just your, not just your life. Like we said, I think we said in this series, you can change all sorts of stuff. Change your destination. Oh, I got to get out of this city because this, this, this is all about, it's not about the city. I, I got I to gotta go to different church. It's not about the church. It's about the thinking. Now, environments do influence thinking, and when it's an unhealthy environment, you might need to pull yourself out of it. But most of the time, you can change all this stuff. you got to change your mind to change your life. Your mind is your greatest weapon of all things that God has given you. It's your greatest physical weapon, I should say. Through your mind, God has made it so that we can create. Through our minds, God has made it so we can problem solve. Through our minds, God has made it so we can figure stuff out. Through our minds, we can alter outcomes. Through our minds, by By the way, we serve God. Think about this for a second. Anybody ever think realistically, am I serving God with my mind? Nobody ever thinks of that. Nobody ever, I'm not. Am I serving God with my actions? Am I serving God with my, sometimes my words? But nobody ever thinks, am I serving God with my mind? But yet Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse number 37, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind. You, you shall love God with your mind. How do, how do I love God with my mind? By the way, you can't really love God unless you're loving God with your mind. Because love is a choice. The byproduct of love is a feeling, but love is a choice, right? And, and you can't choose something unless your mind is engaged. So you can't really love God the way you're supposed to love God unless your mind is hooked up with him in the right way. You can't have feelings for God unless your mind is hooked up with God in the right way. Your mind is the trigger to the whole experience. You can't act like you're supposed to act as a Christian unless your mind is in a healthy place. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Unless your mind is right, your relationship with God won't be right. Unless your mind is right, your relationship with the world won't be right. Your mind has got to get right. Your mind is is your weapon. It's what God has given you to keep you and to grow you into being the person that God has called you to be. Matter of fact, I was listening to um, a T.D. Jakes sermon recently. My favorite preacher in all the world is T.D. Jakes. I listen to several of his messages every week. And um, this one particular time, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm praying about inviting him to come preach here. And I don't, I don't know if he'll come. So don't get so excited, right? I, I, I hope he does. But if he does, I just want to warn you all, you're all going to hear some stuff you've heard a lot of before from somewhere by someone. I can't tell you who, but you're going to hear it again. <laughs> and so I, I was listening to him, and he was talking about this safari that he was on. And, and he said that they came across the, the king of the jungle, the, the lion, and, and, he, and he saw the lion roar. And, and he saw the lion's teeth, powerful jaws, and he said, he said, God, he said, that's what you gave the lion. The roar, it strikes fear into the heart of its prey, and its teeth, which finishes the job, that's the lion's weapon. And they said they were in the jeep, and they rode a little further, and a cheetah ran by really fast. And he said, he looked at the cheetah, and he said, he said, God, you gave the cheetah speed. That's its weapon. So it can outrun the roar of the lion and the teeth of the lion. You gave the cheetah speed. And then he said, they, they passed this elephant that was as big as the Jeep. And he said, God, you made that elephant so big. So that way, when the lion looks at that elephant, it says, never mind. Never. The, 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 the weight and the size of the elephant, that's its weapon. And then, then he said, looked up, he saw an eagle. With its wings so majestic, just flying high. And he said, that's what you gave the eagle. You gave the eagle these wings to fly high so it can escape the growl or the roar of the lion and the, the reach of the lion. And then he asked, he asked God this question. He said, God, what would you give me? And God said, I gave you your mind. What would you give mankind? I gave you your Mind. He went on to explain that even though the lion is stronger, mano y mano, than the man, the lion has been caged by the man. 
Because the man in his mind has thought up ways to cage the lion. And so even though the lion is physically stronger, the, the lion is really not stronger because the lion has become the captured of the man. And he said, and he watched that cheetah run by and he thought the cheetah is faster than the man in a race. If you go, man, cheetah, you're choosing cheetah every time. But he said, yet the man has gone faster than the cheetah because with the man's mind, the man has thought of race cars and trains and airplanes and, and the man has gone faster than the cheetah. And so even though the cheetah is faster, the man is really faster because of the mind. And then he said, he saw, saw the elephant. And he said, and the elephant, no mat, the man is no match for the elephant. The elephant can just trample the man. But the man has tethered the elephant to a stake that any kid can break with a little tug. Because with his mind, he has learned how to usurp the strength of the elephant. And so in reality, the man is actually stronger than the elephant. And then he said, I looked up and I saw the eagle flying high. But as I saw the eagle flying high, I saw an airplane flying higher than the eagle. And though, even though an eagle can fly higher than a man, a man has been higher than an eagle because of airplanes and rocket ships. And what he was saying was this. He was saying, God has given us this weapon against all of our adversaries, against the roar of the enemy. It's called our mind. And when the enemy cannot catch us in our mind, he can't keep us we break free when our mind is woke what 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 are we illustrating be sober be vigilant stay woke because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion seeketh whom he may devour what's he looking for weak-minded people now, you know, most Christians read that verse and they, here's what they think that means. It means that they start looking for the devil. That's what they think that scripture means. So it'd be like, oh, is that the devil? Is that the devil? Oh, that's the devil right there. Here's what it means. It means watch out what you let into your brain. Because if your brain ain't right, the devil is going to gain a foothold in your life. So it's not watch out for the devil. It's watch out for the stuff that allows him, that allows the adversary to get victory over you. And the only thing, listen to me, the only thing that can ever allow the enemy to gain a victory over you is when your mind is not right. That's the only access that he has into your brain and into your life. Your mind is your weapon. And it's why the enemy fights so hard in your brain. Fight so hard for your head. That's why when, when Jesus said to his disciples, he said, he said, let's go for a boat ride. He said, I'm tired. I, he was ministering all day. He said, let's go for, for a boat ride to the other side. And, and the disciples looked out and the sea was complete glass. It was a perfect day for sailing. And Jesus said, I'm going to go take a nap in the lower part of the ship. And about after Jesus fell asleep, because the enemy is slick, He's waiting for vulnerable moments, right? After he fell asleep, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this storm arises, so much so that fishermen, 
who are used to being on the seas are scared for their life. They go back to Jesus. They wake him up. They say, Jesus, don't you care that we perish? And what does Jesus do? He yawns. He points. He says, peace be still. He rebukes the storm. And it's back to class again. And most people think that's the story. It's not the story. It's the reason for the story points us to what was going on they get to the other side as soon as they get to the other side you remember your bible it says a man who no man could tame who made his home in the graveyards who cut himself who they couldn't even keep bound with fetters because he was possessed with a legion of demons met jesus at the shore Whatever right mind he had on the inside of him, he fell at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus cast those devils out into a swine of pigs. You remember that? And and the pigs went over the cliff. Because even the pigs don't want to be possessed by the devil, right? And so, and so um, then the man was there. Here's what the Bible says. It says, when everybody around saw Jesus and the one who had been demon possessed and had a legion sitting in clothes. And listen. And in his right mind. Why the storm out of nowhere? Because the enemy was after the mind of an individual. And when the enemy has got the mind of an individual captured, he holds on tight. And it takes some effort and it takes some work in order for you to renew your mind. But I want to encourage you that the word of God is quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit. It's after your head. He can get your head. He can get your life. He can, he can warp your life. It's the law of cognition. We are what we think. Second law I want to give you so I get you ready for, for the food that you're supposed to feed yourself. God's not going to feed your, your soul for you. You've got to do it. Second law is the law of exposure. The law of exposure is your mind will think about what you expose it to most. Your mind will think about what you expose it to most. No chance of thinking about something on a regular basis that you don't expose your mind to on a regular basis. Anybody ever try to meditate on a promise of God? And you know, you think on it for, and when you're thinking on it initially for a second, for some reason all these other thoughts keep coming up and you're like, I'm trying to focus on the scripture right now. Why? Because you have an inordinate amount of stuff that has already been inputted into you. And so when you try to focus on something that is different, that stuff still fights you. And and those are times when you just got to push through. But the law of exposure simply says your mind will think on what you expose it to most. And so you cannot think right thoughts when you're exposing your mind to wrong things. You can't think right thoughts when you're exposing your mind to wrong things. It's impossible to do. You're setting yourself up for failure. And here's what I think is crazy about the law of exposure is that we are surprised by it. Your mind will think on most, will think on what you expose it to most. We're surprised at that. And I got this little illustration I want to show you to demonstrate the law of exposure to you. I got these magic eggs. They're keto friendly, by the way. And I'm believing that if I throw this egg up in the air, 
that's just going to stay up in the air and fly. That's what I'm believing for. And um, I want you to help me believe for this. Matter of fact, I want us to, to, to pray together that when I throw this, because nothing's impossible for God. I want to I throw this egg up in the air, and I want you to believe with me that it's going gonna, it's gonna to stay up in the air and not fall to the ground. So can we pray? Will you all pray with me? Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now. We ask that when this egg leaves my hand, that you would cause it to fly. Ready? Here's the magic words. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's see if my prayer works. What? I prayed. I prayed in the name of Jesus. It didn't work. Hold on, hold on. It must have been. Let's try again. Let's try again. Let's try again. Hold hands, hold hands, hold hands. Where two or three agree on earth as touching anything in their midst, it will be done by their Father who is in heaven. Okay, let's, let's, let's really pray hard this time. Let's give it a little bit more. Father! You know, because when we scream, we're praying hard. Father, 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 Father. Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God. In Jesus' name, let this egg fly. I think we got it. I think we got it. God's going to answer this prayer. God! Got a problem. Why didn't you do what you said you were going to do? I prayed, God. I prayed in Jesus' name. Spoke in tongues. Got a thousand people to agree with me in person. Why didn't it happen, God? I don't, I, don't, I don't understand. How many's really shocked that the egg fell? Anybody really shocked that the egg fell? I would have been shocked if that egg took off, by the way. I would have been like, and you would have been like, you've been like, what kind of man is this that even the eggs obey him? I mean, you would have been like, whoa, man, come to church next week. We got eggs that float. You don't care that Jesus is in the house, but you got a floating egg. Nobody, nobody is shocked that the egg floats, didn't float, because there's a law. It's called the law of gravity. And, and yes, God can suspend the law of gravity, but there has to be some particular overriding principle that would make God do that. But here's my question. Why are we surprised at the law of exposure? Why are we surprised that the things that we give our mind to the most are the things that we wind up doing? Why are we surprised that when we think on stuff and think on stuff and think on stuff and then we do it or it's done, why do we go, can you believe that? Give an example. Can you believe all the school shootings? Can't believe it. I'm saddened by it, but I could believe it. I'm horrified by it, but I could believe it. As a matter of fact, I'm surprised it didn't start happening sooner. 
Why? Because we subject our kids to thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of acts of violence on a regular basis in everything that they see and everything that they hear, in their music, on social media, in their movies, on their television shows, and then we go, can you believe that happened? Well, of course I can. How could it not happen? We have been wired to get a thought. If it becomes part of us and we think on it long, it eventually, not might, but will show up in our actions. Give you another example. (gasps) Can you believe so-and-so cheated on so-and-so? Yeah. I could believe it. Am I saddened by it? 100%. Can I believe it? Of course I can. Can you believe that there's rape in our society? Of course I can. Can can you believe that marriage infidelity is where it is? Of course I can. Can you believe that teens and preteens are doing their thing at 11 and 12 years old? Of course I can. You surprised by that? I'm not. Why? Why? Because everything that is fed to them on a regular basis is an image, is a thought about this, that, and the other thing. How could that eventually not show up in somebody's life? It's the law of exposure. You are, we are what we think. If you want to find out why stuff is showing up in your life, just look at what you're giving your heart and your mind to on a regular basis. Because if you give your heart and your mind to something long enough, it will eventually show up in your life. The law of exposure. Watch this. Let me give you this little thing and then I'll kind of give you some of the soul food. And we'll talk about the soul food in, in depth next week. Joshua, chapter 1, verse number 8. Your mind will think on what you expose it to most. We think on most is what you'll do. Joshua, chapter 1, verse number 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Now, let me just stop there. In in this series, I'm going to teach you about the mind-mouth connection. There is a serious connection between what you say and how you think. That when you say the opposite of how you want to think, you'll never think right. That in order for your thinking to be where God wants it to be, your mouth must be in sync with what you want to be thinking about. That's another subject. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Meditate, think on. That you may observe to do. Meditate on it so that you'll do it. Meditate on it so that you'll do it. I said again, meditate on it so that you'll do it. Why would God say in order to do it, you got to meditate on it? Because God knows the way that you were wired to work. You were wired to work. Think on it. Mind to brain. Brain to body and expression. So what God says is if you're going to do something in order for you to do it and do it and do it and do it and do it, you got to think on it and think on it and think on it and think on it.
it. And if you want to stop doing it, you got to stop thinking on it. And you got to repeal the thought and replace it with a new thought that will create new habits in your life. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, watch this, you will make your way prosperous. And then you'll have good success. Who makes your way prosperous? You do. I don't, I, then you will make your way prosperous. God already wants your way to be prosperous. God already wants you to have good success, but he's given you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Behold, I've given you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What's a key? It's a principle. Okay? So if I give you the keys and I say, here, these keys open up every door in the church, don't come and ask me to open up the door for you. Just use your keys. Here's what's happening with the body of Christ. We're not using our keys. We're not using our principles. Yes, we're fully redeemed. Yes, we're fully saved. Yes, God loves us. Yes, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. But in order to have a morphed life, in order to have a transformed life, we must transform our mind. And in order to transform our mind, we must understand how our mind works. And it works by how we think. Five soul food groups. You know, five food groups in the food pyramid. Five Food groups in the soul food pyramid, okay? I'm going to give them to you quick, and then we'll talk about them next week. Number one, first, soul food is the Word of God. It's the primary thing. It's, it's the main thing. If you can only eat one thing, this is what it should be. Like if you asked me if I could only eat one thing and not worry about the ramifications of it, what would it be? Probably Pasta. Okay, this, this is your pasta for you carb lovers, okay? This is, this is your pasta. Eat it all of the time. Second food group for you, listen, worthwhile relationships. Do you know that your, your mind is shaped more by relationships than perhaps anything else? I'll teach you this next week. Do you know that your mind, your brain has what they call mirror neurons in it? M-I-R-R-O-R. I didn't know if you caught that with my Brooklyn accent. Mirror and neurons. And here's what it means. It's, it means mind does what mind sees. Whatever is reflected is what mind catches and instructs rest of you to do. Where do you see most of what you see? In the relationships that are around you. It's where you pick up most of your stuff. By the way, by the way, that's why some people actually start out with an advantage over other people. Because some people are raised in environments where there's positive relationships around them. So they pick up the right stuff, which produces the right programming, which actualizes in the right kind of experience. And some people have the wrong stuff. And this is where it's not just our works, but this is where it also is God's grace. And that's why God is so gracious because God understands that some people weren't dealt the right cards. Okay? So winning relationships. But, but when you know and you do anyway, don't blame nobody else. You, you're now an adult. You now have to take responsibility for your spiritual journey. Worth, worthwhile relationships. Watch this. Third thing. 
watchful eyes and wise ears. Watch this. This will kill you. Yo, yo, yo. Check that out. Yeah. That'll kill you. Keep, keep, keep doing that and watch what happens in your brain. Watch what shows up in your life. Wise ears. Yeah, I like the groove. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but it's talking about getting drunk. It's talking about getting high. Yeah, but it's got a good groove. Yeah. Mm. I like the groove. It's talking about rape. Yeah, but it's got a good groove. Yeah. Keep doing that. See if it don't show up in your life. I promise you it will. Watchful eyes, wise ears. It's the soul food. Watch this. Number four, fourth soul food, wonderful counselor. Who's that? That's the Holy Spirit. You've got to have a regular diet of what the Spirit of God is saying to you. The Holy Spirit is somebody we need to have a relationship with in our lives. Not somebody who's just this, this, this obscure person of the Trinity. I call him the forgotten person of the Trinity. But he's supposed to be our life coach. He's supposed to be the one that, that, that guides us and leads us. The wonderful counselor. And then number five, the fifth soul food group, winning actions. What's a winning action? A winning action. Here, here let me give it to you this way. Your thoughts are solidified... Or destroyed by what you continually do. Your thoughts are solidified or destroyed by what you continually do. Your actions will either, will either ingrain something into your brain and make it harder for you to change or your actions will destroy something negative that's in your brain and, 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 and make it easier for you to change. On the, on the flip side, positively, if you're doing something that supports a positive thought, it'll make it so that your brain automates it and you'll do it without even thinking about it. I'll prove it to you and I'll, I'll preach this more next week. Faith which starts as a thought, as a belief, without corresponding actions is what? Dead. It will not produce. So if I am believing God for something over here, but I'm doing something over here that is contrary to what I'm believing God for, it will destroy my ability to believe God. And then I'll wonder why, even though I thought I was believing God, I didn't receive what God promised because of the way you have been wired to work. You are a specimen of a machine. You are the finest piece of equipment that the world has ever known. God has intricately woven you and put you together in your mother's womb, New York state laws, in your mother's womb. God has woven you and made you. And because he has, he has made you such, 
He knows how you work. And so when God says these things in the Bible, it's not like to give you a to-do list. It's to set you up for his best. And so next week what I want to do is I want to teach you how these, how these soul foods all work when you begin to feed yourself with them. And I want to get underneath them and show you why regularly meditating on the word of God actually produces the right kind of thoughts and the right kind of lives and relationships that are worthwhile actually influence you in a profound way and so on and so forth. Don't miss next week. I originally was going to preach the whole thing to you, but last night, like I got to this point and I was like, it's time to go already. And so now I'm happy because I have to do no further studying for next week. So stand to your feet.